0: Hello, it's Monday the 4th of March. I'm Gary Bowerman. On today's show, I'll be talking airports, high-speed railways, and travel infrastructure development across the region with James Clark, founder of the Future Southeast Asia Newsletter. So, let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. It's just me this week, as Hannah is in Berlin. Wherever you travel across Southeast Asia, it's impossible to miss that transport infrastructure is being built out on a vast scale, and this will continue over the next decade and beyond. So today, I'm delighted to welcome back James Clark, founder of the Future Southeast Asia newsletter. James and I have compiled a list of the region's top eight Travel Infrastructure Developments, which we'll discuss over the next 30 minutes or so. James was previously on the show just over a year ago on the 15th of February, 2023. We've got plenty to catch up on and update you about uh, in the next 30 minutes. So, James, welcome back to the Southeast Asia Travel Show. How are you doing and where are you right now? Because you're not currently in Southeast Asia, are you?
1: Yeah, hi, Gary. Great to be back on the show. I'm currently back in my homeland of Australia, um, in a town just outside of Melbourne. So, just going back to see the family and get some things in order. Then, I'll be back in full force back into Southeast Asia in a couple of weeks.
0: Taking a break, or are you still working?
1: Uh, working part time, but it's been hard to take a break when you're back and you haven't seen people for ages. So, uh, I I, a good thing about working for myself is I can sort of do my work and also take time out during the day to meet people.
0: Oh cool. good to hear good to hear James so there's, there's so much to talk about we've put together this top eight list but before we start James I just wanted to get your impression now you've been tracking travel infrastructure projects across the region for many many years we had this massive lull caused by the pandemic but it seems to have come back in force there's lots of new announcements there's not a a lot of new project financing are you surprised at the sort of speed of announcements that we're seeing at the moment
1: uh i think that it's not surprising because there's still a long way to go for the region to you know get fully developed so there's a lot of work to be done um you know it could have seemed a bit daunting after the pandemic to restart things. but I think that um, as we've seen, well especially if you've seen you know talking about travel, you know the the rebound has been pretty swift. So I think everyone is now realising that they've got to get onto it and um, get infrastructure that can
0: support growth and tourism. Yeah, because that that infrastructure that we're mostly talking about, and some of them are national projects, but a lot of these are interconnected, aren't they, across the region, and that's going to make it easier to travel around the region and also to shift, you know, products and people, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's all related. So it, I think they the fact that they know that, um, that, you know, you've got to get the airports up to speed with, you know, international standards and, you know, get railways built that can um, – connect big cities without having to fly. So there's a lot of great things that
0: can happen. Yeah, that's a neat segue into our first uh, our first selection on our list of the top eight projects currently underway. And that's, we've talked about this before, James, that's the Thailand high-speed railway. As we know, this is part of the grand plan to connect China's high-speed railway with the the nations of mainland Southeast Asia. Um, Where are we at with this? Because this was first proposed, I think, way back in 2010, China and Thailand signed the agreement, I think, back in 2016. We're now seven years, eight years ahead of that. Uh, where are we right now? Well, it's not good
1: at the moment. We just had an announcement last week that the high-speed railway will be delayed another two years. So this is uh, the train that will connect Bangkok uh, to Nongkai, which is on the border of Laos. And then that goes over into Vientiane, and that would connect with the Laos-China Railway. So uh, even though the last China Railway got built on time within about five years, uh, in contrast, this one is just taking a very long time. There's been a lot of problems, um, you know, with financing and also uh, land clearance is a huge issue at the moment. Uh, Not only land clearance, but where to put the railway because um, there's two problems at the moment, at least two problems. One is in... um, there's a section near Nakon Ratchasima that the uh, local residents want to elevate the railway because it was going to be on the ground, so that's been delayed. And then there's a a section at Ayutthaya uh, where the um you know they want to put it underground instead of elevated so it doesn't uh, interfere with the view of the historic area. So when you think that they've got one section ready to go, then another problem has emerged. So I think that's a problem with a lot of railways in Southeast Asia is like land clearance in general, like uh, what to do with it. So
0: this is a very typical problem. But yeah, this is taking much longer than it should have. Yeah. And of course, the longer it takes, it increases the the costs as well. So for our listeners that aren't uh, up to speed with what's actually happening here, James, this is going to connect Bangkok, the capital of Thailand, with Vientiane, the capital of Laos. And there are three elements to it, aren't there? The the high-speed railway is going to be built in two phases, and then they have to build a railway over the Mekong River to connect uh, the borderlands of Thailand and Laos. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So
1: at the moment, they're building the first section from Bangkok to Nakhon Ratchasima, and then the second stage will go to Nongkai. And then they need a, a new bridge across the Mekong River. Uh, there's, there's already a bridge uh, that serves the meter gauge railway, but this is a standard gauge railway. So they need a new bridge to serve the high-speed train. And then this will then be able to connect to the semi-high-speed railway that's connected, that's already built in Laos. So once, that's, once the Thailand section is built, it will be able to put one train on a single track from like
0: Bangkok to Kunming in China. Right. So realistically, as it stands at the moment, Kunming is this this nexus of the whole plan to connect China uh, with Southeast Asia by rail. Kunming is a city in southwest China. As it currently stands, you can travel from Kunming to the border with Laos and then down to the capital of Vientiane. The next stage of that, which we're talking about at the moment, would then connect Vientiane with the Thai capital Bangkok. I mean, realistically, when do you think the first high-speed railway trains in Thailand will run? Is, is it going to be this decade?
1: Well, yeah. I, the report said last week that it's going to be delayed two years, and but it wasn't clear whether they meant 2027 or 29. But either way, we could hope that by the end of the decade that um, the high-speed rail, railway to Laos will be operating um, and there is already a train operating from Vientiane to Kunming. I think that launched since I last spoke to you. So there is. it takes about 10 hours. It, so it's on a single train. And uh, so that's actually possible now where you can get on a, a train bound for China. So we're just waiting for the Thailand section.
0: Right. Okay. And as you reference there, this, this gets quite complex because there already is a train from Laos to Bangkok. and there's going to be a new station i think it's opening or it's about to open in vientiane the south railway station can you explain that and how is that different from the high speed railway yeah so this is a bit confusing and uh a bit of a uh, bit contentious
1: because thailand is building this uh, dual operating system so they've already got this meter gauge railway which is the railways that were used in like 100 years ago uh like the meter width a rail track and that's a bit slower and and then using diesel engines and that's currently operating now to the border so uh there is also a a train that goes from nong Kai to the other side of the uh, river so it's only, it doesn't go quite to Vientiane. so you have to get a bus to Vientiane. but they've now extended that line to south Vientiane and there's a, a new uh railway station in, in South Cam uh, Kamsavit station. So that's expected to open in May. And they're talking about running tra- trains from Bangkok to the South Vientiane station. So it will be able to go in one go. So we're hoping that will be operating and that will kind of serve as a, a rail service until the high speed railway is operating.
0: Right, and I know you like to get on these trains as soon as they open. Have you got any plans to get on that one uh, in the next few months, James? Well, I'll be in the, I'll be in Thailand
1: around the time it opens. So I've I've learned my lesson of not trying to plan my travels on an opening date because I've kind of fallen short before when they've not opened on time. So if it's open, I will definitely be going to it.
0: Cool. You're referencing there the whoosh, I guess, in in Indonesia. Is that correct?
1: That's yeah. right. I, I went. I went to Jakarta thinking it would open and I missed it by a few weeks. So I'll have
0: another go this year. Yeah, better luck next time. So we've discussed, I would say, probably one of the biggest and the most high profile travel infrastructure projects in of this decade is the Thai High Speed Railway. Another one, slightly different, is New Santara. This is the new capital in the forest in Indonesia. This is moving the capital, or at least the administrative elements of the capital, from Jakarta, uh, which is on the island of Borneo, uh, on the island of Java, to East Kalimantan province, which is on the island of Borneo, which is which is huge distance away. James, you've been reporting on this quite a lot. There's a lot to talk about here. What are the key elements we should unpack from this?
1: Yeah. So, Nusantara is like the new uh, capital city of Indonesia, and it's even though it seems like a random location, it's actually about as geographically the centre of Indonesia as it gets if you take the um, easternmost and westernmost points of the archipelago. So that's sort of why they've made it sort of there uh, as a a central point. And like you said, it's it's the administrative capital that will be moving. So because it's often... A lot of the um, Western media have picked it up and go. Oh no, Jakarta is sinking, and they're moving the entire city to the jungle, which is not true. Like Jakarta is business as usual. It's going to be. The, it's still the business capital, and they're going ahead with building new new railways and what have you. But it's just the administrative capital is moving, sort of like you know Australia a hundred years ago when they moved they built Canberra, and then even in Malaysia, you've got. Putrajaya, which is the administrative capital of Malaysia uh, outside of Kuala Lumpur, which I I don't think many people who are not familiar with Malaysia would know that that exists. So uh, that's probably another thing, too, is like it's one thing to make a city, but then you've got to make it sort of a global city that people are familiar with.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I was just going to reference uh, Putrajaya. You beat me to it. So, as you said, you know, it's going to be the administrative capital. This is kind of really the legacy of Joko Widodo, isn't it? After his two terms in in presidency, which he'll, he'll be leaving, I think, at the end of this year, he said that he will actually relocate to New Santara, I think in July this year, which is basically going to kickstart the, the sort of movement of uh, administrative processes, government uh, offices to New Santara from Jakarta. But it's quite a long-term project, isn't it? I mean, this isn't. I think it's not actually going to be fully completed until twenty forty-five. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, and if you look at it as any city that's going to continually grow, so I mean, they've made a fair bit of progress. There was actually a uh, a great satellite image released last week from the NASA Earth Observatory, and they showed an image from two thousand and twenty-two and two thousand and twenty-four, and you can see that. The difference of how much progress they've made like you know roads laid out and buildings have already been built and they've they are moving uh civil servants in July as you mentioned I think there's 5000 are being moved like so they would be moved from Jakarta most likely and then they plan to have uh like the Independence Day ceremony that's August 17. So that would sort of be, I guess, a soft opening. I don't think it would be the official, because it's still be ongoing, but that would be like a, I guess, a a flag in the sand for the president the day before he before he leaves that he's like, this is what I've done.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So the August 17th this year is the 79th anniversary of Indonesia's independence and the full completion in 2045. That will be the hundredth. Anniversary. So I guess we'll be we'll be talking about this project uh, on and on. I, I suspect over the next few years, James. Let's let's move on to number four because this is also a project we've been talking about for a long time. But it does look as though there is actually some kind of concrete uh, development about to happen, and that's the Bali Railway. Now, this is really designed to alleviate the traffic congestion, which has got really really bad, especially in the southern part of the city and the routes to and from the airport. James, what's the latest on the Bali railway?
1: So, at the moment, there is a plan for a, a light rail transit, so sort of uh, that would go from the airport to the tourist area along the South Beaches, so along uh, Kuta, uh, Legian, and Seminyak. But it would it would only be about four or five kilometres at the start. So uh, there are plans to sort of extend it further, but yeah, they've got a get something started because at the moment um well every year the the traffic in bali's has just gotten gotten worse uh, they had a an, an instance last year where there were people just queued up for hours trying to get into the airport um you know and a lot of that says bad urban planning they're just like there is no urban planning basically they just let people build over rice fields without planning to build wider roads in the future and the, the rice fields that kept getting built out further and further out, and there's no roads to support it and there's just a lot of traffic now and uh, nowhere to move. So uh, they haven't really announced how they're going to build it though, like where they will build, if they, they said underground and then it elevated, because there's nowhere to put it on the ground. Like you think of a light rail, you think of something that's sort of at grade. But, um, you know, they're talking about starting... Uh, construction in September this year, so we would hopefully hear some more news about that in the coming months.
0: Right, and I guess the reason that it's going underground, James, is because if you build it overground, you're just going to make the traffic worse during the construction period. Is, is that is that real?
1: Yeah, there, I mean, there's not many places uh, in the in the inner area around Cooter, for example, where. There's no white roads that are wide enough to put even an elevated road. so they've got to put it underground there. and um you know there's there's only a few roads where you could say put like a like a BTS in Bangkok where you could put a elevator down the middle and not cause any traffic disruption. Mm. so there, a, it's a very difficult uh, project to plan for.
0: Interesting. I was reading, I read somewhere, I think it was in the Business Times a couple of days ago, that the prospective cost for this is is an eye-watering sounding Indonesian rupiah 9 trillion. But that actually only equates to about just under 600 million US dollars, which I know that's a lot of money. But that sounded not that expensive to build a railway. What what do you think about that?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's, you know... You know, it would the cost would blow
0: out, so you would you would expect it to be over a
1: billion for sure.
0: Yeah, I would agree. So let's move on to um, a major international airport project. Loads going on in the region at the moment. We just had an announcement last week from Thailand that Suvarnabhumi uh, has set a timeline for its massive capacity uh, uh, upgrade. But there's an interesting uh, development in Phnom Penh in Cambodia. Uh, two new airports there really. Non Pen is about to open, or in the next couple of years. CMREP opened last year. Tell us a bit about this Non Pen International Airport. Why is it being built, James? And uh, what's interesting about it?
1: Yeah, so the current airport, Phnom Penh, is like pretty close to the city centre, so it's pretty convenient for travellers. But yeah, they've got only a, a certain amount of space that, that they can deal with to for future expansion. So that's getting moved outside the city centre and maybe about 30 kilometres out. And that at the moment is about, uh, well, the most recent update last month said it was 64% complete and they'll be ready uh, at the first half of 2025. Uh, So maybe, um, and they're talking about building a, Light rail from the airport to the city centre, so that would be uh, another bonus as well to have the start start building a sort of a transit system along with it.
0: Right. So I was reading that um, the initial phase one would be able to handle about 13, one, three million passengers per year, and then a second phase would take that total to thirty million. I guess that explains you know just that the capacity is much much lower in Cambodia than it is in some of the other cities around the region, but. Looking at the design, the design is uh, is done by Foster & Partners. It's pretty funky. They, Foster & Partners designed, of course, Hong Kong International Airport, which I still think is the, is the best airport design in, in uh, Asia-Pacific. They also designed Terminal 3 at Beijing Capital International. Have you looked at the design? Because it's beautiful and it has this kind of like tree element to it. Um, but it's also supposed to be, or it's said to be, I guess every new airport says this as well, uh, one of the greenest airports in the world. Uh, have you got any more details on that, James?
1: Yeah, like well, I don't know about the green aspect because everyone likes to to add green on a project, and it's sort of you would need an expert to verify that because you know they could just make it up. But yeah, I agree with the uh, with your thoughts about Hong Kong. That's a beautiful airport, and the fact that um, they got you know a star architect, as they as they call a star architect, to build this airport, they got a lot of. uh favorable press like all the architecture news sites were um just had all these pictures of uh the new airport so it was uh it was a good for good for awareness that like oh wow this is like Cambodia and they've got like this you know world-class architect coming in to build the new airport so I'm really looking forward to seeing what that looks
0: like yeah same absolutely once it opens I'll be I'll be looking forward to to going and, and visiting it's called Teco International Airport I think T-E-C-H-O is that correct?
1: That's right. Yeah. So uh that that'll be but they haven't uh said what they'll do with the the airport code like PNH. Maybe they'll keep that as well.
0: Right, right. And just rewinding to what I said in the intro there, CM Rep, uh the new airport opened, what was that, back in October? And that's also outside of the city, isn't it? Because the old one was very, very close to to Angkor, actually.
1: Yeah, so it was only a couple of kilometers from the Angkor Archaeological Park so they were advised to move it uh for to keep the preservation of the um the park but the, yeah the the new airport is 50 kilometers by road from Reap town center so it's a bit of a hike and they're they're planning to build a light rail there but you know unfortunately they didn't plan it when they were building this so uh, you've got you've got a bit of a bus or taxi ride to get there
0: right okay so going back from airports and airlines to high-speed railways again and let's look at Vietnam James I think we did discuss this briefly last year it's been on the on the books for a long time this is the north-south railway running from basically the Chinese border right down to, to Ho Chi Minh City in the south of Vietnam we, we read a lot about this. There's a lot a lot of proposals. Is there anything concrete yet?
1: Uh, nothing concrete. because I, And I don't think we could say anything concrete until you start seeing the concrete trucks uh, <laughs> turning up and building. And maybe we, we probably shouldn't be talking about it anymore until that happens because I've got a record of like, it goes back 20 years of all the times that they've proposed building it. And it went a bit cold for a while, but... It's really heated up over the last few years, and they're now at the point where they're, uh, the project is being submitted to the Politburo in this month. Uh, so that's the latest update. Um, but the last, over the last year, they've mainly been debating about what the speed should be, because they, they all agree that it'll be high speed, but... Uh, you know, there's different levels of high speed and and what what it should be. So there was a, a debate of whether it should be like a 250 kilometer uh, speed or 350 kilometer an hour speed. So 350 kilometers would be up there with the top, you know, the fastest trains in the world, like the one the fastest ones in China and the whoosh in Indonesia. Whereas 250 is sort of probably more like the high speeds of Europe. Uh, and there were people talking about. Why not just have it like uh, 160 kilometers, which is semi high speed, like what they have in La China Railway? Uh, but I think they're set on going for high speed. Um, the main thing is, uh, I worked out that one of the, they wanted to have a train that went from Hanoi to Ho Chi Minh City in five hours. And to do that, they would need it to have a, a 350 kilometer an hour train to get, so it would include stops and that.
0: Interesting, because that's quite a long way. I think last year when we were talking about it, James, you said you know the the, the geography really of uh, in, uh, of Vietnam is quite well suited because it is that long curving uh, country. I saw a very very interesting uh, graph or graphic in I think it was in Business Times, and we were talking earlier about Kunming being the sort of centre, this nexus of connecting China um, with Southeast Asia, and we have that route that goes down. We were discussing through Laos, through Thailand perhaps connecting with Kuala Lumpur and ultimately with Singapore. And then there's this second route, which would go from Kunming uh, to the border with Vietnam, Ho And then it would go to Hanoi, then down, curve all the way down to the south of Vietnam, to Ho Chi Minh City. And then there's also kind of the hockey stick curve would go back up to Phnom Penh and perhaps Poipet. I mean, we're talking a long way in future here, um, but that's quite an interesting route network, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's a a dream that's been on the the books for like decades, like this Pan-Asian Railway. And uh, China definitely have a dream of turning Kunming into sort of like the Southeast Asia hub. So there would be like, you know, three prongs that would go to Myanmar, through Laos, and then uh, Vietnam. And there was some progress last year with um, talk about uh, upgrading the – the Hanoi Haiphong Railway and then connecting it to the and then upgrading the border railway. So it would be a, a standard gauge railway that would be able to connect with the, the railway to Kunming. Because at the moment there is a meter gauge railway that goes to the China border. So they want China wants that upgraded so they can just run the same train on the track.
0: Yeah, again, once again, James, watch this space. We'll be talking about that for a long time to come we we're going to we're going to sidestep the Kuala Lumpur Singapore high speed railway because at the moment that's still in a little bit of flux but if we go down to the south of Malaysia to the border with Singapore there's quite an interesting urban rail route that's going on there can you tell us a bit more about the connection in Johor Bahru and Singapore
1: yeah so at the moment they're building this RTS link so it's going to be a like a, a metro line that connects Johor Bahru to Singapore, uh, and that's going to be a game changer for people on both sides there because at the moment you you either get this, uh, it's one train but it runs at irregular hours, and otherwise you're just driving or going over by a bus. And you know, I've been on that, I've crossed the um, the causeway. You know, and it's taken 90 minutes to get through immigration, it's like a real nightmare when it's really busy. So with this uh, RTS link, it'll be like just getting on a metro train and going across to Singapore. And what they'll plan to do is have uh, immigration at both points, sort of like what you used to do on the uh, Eurostar. I'm not sure if you do that now, but um, like if you're in Johor Bahru, you, get, you clear immigration for Malaysia and Singapore. So as soon as you get out, on the other side, you just walk out and you're in Singapore ready to go. So yeah. for people who are living in Singapore, uh, working in Singapore, living in, in Malaysia, this is going to be a huge time saver. And the, and the other thing is this will be connected to the, uh, the Singapore's transit system, whereas the current um, Woodlands doesn't have a, a, um, a metro station.
0: Yeah, you made a good point there, James, about a lot of people living in southern Malaysia, in Johor Bahru, uh, that work in Singapore, obviously, because the Singapore currency is so much higher, wages are much higher, but the cost of living is cheaper to live in Malaysia, in southern Malaysia. But you know that, as you said, that causeway crossing can take a lot of time. And I think the other element to this as well is that it's hoped, and I think it has has actually started to happen, that this will actually attract a lot more business investment to Johor Bahru and connect it much more closely um, to the Singaporean economy.
1: Yeah, they're talking about like a like a special economic zone that would include Singapore and like um, the Johor area. So that's a sort of like modelling on um, Hong Kong and Shenzhen. So you know, in the, in the future, they might even envision where it's sort of like a, a free travel zone. So people who are already maybe. Uh, you know, pre-cleared or whatever, or maybe even in the future, it would be like Malaysians and Singaporeans should be able to freely travel between the country, and that would be a, and then that would just become a huge urban uh, economic area for the
0: whole Johor Bur- Johor State, and Singapore. Yeah, and also great for tourists traveling between the two countries. What's the current timeline for it, James? Uh, they're saying
1: uh, RTS will be by the end of twenty twenty six.
0: So not too far away. So, James, the Ho Chi Minh City Metro, you've talked quite a lot about the Hanoi Metro, um, which is quite a complex pro- project. That Han- what's the difference between the Hanoi Metro and the Ho Chi Minh City Metro for, for visitors? Uh,
1: well, I think the 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 one the Hanoi Metro, that they've built one line already, and the second line, half of the second line will be open this year. Uh, but they're still not really, you know area that's that a a visitor would see so it's more just building out a network uh for you know the future network for commuters Uh, but if you if you visited hanoi and you stay in the old quarter you you wouldn't even know that there is a metro there while in ho chi minh city there's a uh, the first metro line is under construction now and that's starting in the city center and that's going out to the east of the city towards uh, the eastern bus station and this will be useful for uh, tourists to go out into the east area to the bus station and maybe to other areas. But it'll be a great, uh, it'll be a, just a great start for commuters in general who want to come into the city from the eastern area. Um, but yeah, it's it's taken years to, to build. It's just one of the longest construction projects. Um, like they started in 2012 and it was meant to be finished in 2018. And then um, yeah, so it's now 2014 is still you know going. So it's been a very long wait, but we're hoping that because uh, I'm living in I'm living there at the moment, and um, I hope to be there in July when they say it might open. So we'll see.
0: Fingers crossed. So James, you're currently in Melbourne, in Australia, you're living most of your time in, in Ho Chi Minh City, but you do travel a lot around the region. What are your plans over the next few months? What what kind of projects and what kind of places have you got your eye on to, to visit?
1: Yeah, so when I get back, I'll be in Vietnam and I'll do some rail travel there. Then I'll be coming down to uh, Malaysia and Singapore and Indonesia. Um, so I'll be doing rail trips in all of every country I'm visiting. Uh, I'll hopefully get to try out the high-speed railway in uh, Jakarta to Bandung Uh, so yeah there's um, and then come back to um, Thailand and then if the railway to uh, Vientiane is open I will try that out as well
0: great so hopefully we'll get to catch up for a coffee in Kuala Lumpur in the not too distant future
1: yes that will happen for sure
0: great okay James once again thanks so much for your insights fascinating there's so much that's happening in this sphere James's newsletter, Future Southeast Asia, is well worth reading. He keeps track of all these projects and the delays and the new announcements and everything that goes with it. It's well worth reading. Uh, It's it's a great resource, which he, he produces every single week. So, James, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So that brings to a close this week's show. Many thanks to James for joining me and sharing his insights. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts and your comments on any of the projects that I discussed with James or anything that we missed out. Drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. And as always, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com. And you can find us on any international podcast platform so that's a wrap for today but i'll be back later in the week with a special extra show looking at the outcome of the spring festival holiday in china for chinese tourism i look forward to seeing you there